Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Exurgat Deus dissipentur inimici eius, et fugiancio derunteum a face eius. Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered. And let all those who hate him flee from before his face. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diabolias do praesidium. Imperetili Deus supplicas de precamor, tuque princeps militae calestis, satana maliosque spiritus malignos qui ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum letrude. Amen. Cor Iesu Sacratissimum miserere nobis, Mater Dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Sancti Iosif, ora pro nobis. Beatis Carolus Edomo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facium tuum et salvierimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I'm not entirely sure why I think this is more pertinent than some of the other things that are going on. I mentioned in a previous podcast that uh, it does appear that the food production facilities are being sabotaged. The biggest issue is that there doesn't seem to be, or at least nobody's, nobody's actually doing the deeper investigations to find out if there is a commonality, but it does not appear to be linked despite the vast numbers. Like I said in 17 in Twitter, um, which (laughs) I did not realize that it was going to sound like I was going to be talking about teenage girls. That was obviously not the, uh, not the intent. I was just going for something a little more obscure. But like I was talking about in the, in, in that podcast, if we continue at the same pace that we're going, they're going to get somewhere right around 45 to 50 food processing plants, in addition to the some 30 or 40 million chickens that they've already slaughtered due to a supposed outbreak of avian flu. But here's the thing. Nobody seems to have real evidence of avian flu. Nobody seems to have real evidence that the avian flu would be dangerous to humans, like there's a whole lot of, there's just a whole lot of stuff that doesn't appear to be um, showing up with what they're claiming. And yet the destruction of the food sources seems to be carrying on apace. I would have thought that that would have been the more pertinent topic and, you know, but the thing is, is that you know how to prepare for food shortages. You know what you should be doing in order to prepare for food shortages if you're paying attention to that sort of thing. What I believe is one of the episodes that is on the other side of the transition to ACAST, which is to say that it's not currently available until I spend a couple of days actually um, converting all of those older episodes into uh, the MP3 format, is nuclear survival. Or I should say the survival of what is potentially a nuclear holocaust. 
Now I'm, I want to take some time out to do, to dispel or at least clarify some of the things that they talk about when they talk about things like nuclear winter. Okay. Um, if we actually go into a nuclear winter, it will only be a very, very tiny remnant of humanity that will survive, at least in the Northern hemisphere, Southern hemisphere, not a whole lot in the way of nuclear targets. In fact, the only nuclear target in the Southern Hemisphere is Australia and New Zealand. And they're... As... As part of the combined forces of the United Kingdom, they're a threat. But on their own, they're not really. Nuclear Holocaust actually... A nuclear winter would actually thoroughly destroy the Northern Hemisphere for humanity. But... It's not something that is likely. Here's why. Of the more than 10,000 nuclear weapons currently in circulation around the world, it takes a specific type of nuclear weapon to actually cause nuclear holocaust. And that is a ground-penetrating nuclear weapon. And in truth, if there are going to be any of those used, they will only be used in a couple of locations. Um, one of them, most no, one of them most notably, would be the strategic command centers of any of the developed Western nations, which are in, which were actually designed and built underground in the first place. Those are the only places that you could bother attacking with a ground-penetrating nuclear weapon. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot of ground penetration to cause a lot of radioactive fallout and a lot of destruction. In point of fact, the weapon only has to penetrate about six or between six and eight feet deep, and all of the immediate blast, that crater, um, all of all of that <laughs> all of the material that's blown out of that crater would be the nuclear fallout that would be the radioactive dust floating around the world for the better part of 300 years. Now, does that mean that you're that you have to stay in your bunker for 300 years? No, no. That actually specifically means um, that if you're tracking weather patterns, and this would be a good idea for anybody who has the capacity uh, to access weather programs that have wind in there, um, in addition to also tracking the jet stream and getting a chance to actually keep an eye on all of that, because if you see where that's moving how it moves normally, then you'll be able to actually track where that fallout goes and you can actually make the determination if you, uh, well, I already said where the locations would be that would be necessary. <clears throat> the, um, obviously I didn't name them specifically, but if you've ever seen the movies, then you might know that there are one or two of those locations. To be certain, Russia has one of those underground locations, to be certain. The United States of America has one of those underground locations. And I think probably Pakistan, um, Iran, France, um, and the UK, as well as Israel. Those would be the ones that I would know for certain that would have some kind of, some kind of underground command center that they, where they would be able to carry, carry on um, with the government for a protracted period of time. 
Now, keep in mind that most of those countries also have something called a mobile command center. And to be sure, Air Force One is one of, the, is one of those. So for all of the death and destruction, mayhem and chaos, for all of the potential, you know, the potential of having knocked out major, major centers where military action could be commanded from, the fact is, is that you'll never get them all. Um, it, and truth be told, it does not matter how many missiles are launched. It doesn't matter how many nuclear weapons are deployed. You will never get them all. <clears throat> and that's on all sides, which is the thing that kind of makes this most laughable. Um, I have no doubt that Russia has some kind of equivalent. Seriously, let's be real. If you don't think that Russia has a version of Air Force One, then you're, you're only fooling yourself. Okay, because it would be foolish. It would be foolish for Russia to not have a version of Air Force One or a mobile command center. And as I understand it, there's like three or four in in each of the major developed nations anyway. Now, <clears throat> that's at the governmental level. In the in the event of nuclear war, there's not going to be a whole lot in the way of active government. You can't you. <laughs> I would not be the one to bet on the local law enforcement or the state police in in your state or you know any of the law any of the federal law enforcement agencies of actually being any help in a situation such as that. Um, it just that's just a fact. <clears throat> For your protection, as ridiculous as it sounds, the duck and cover drills outside of a certain range from the center of, from ground zero, outside of outside of a certain range, and that range um, actually for most nuclear weapons starts right about one to two miles. The duck and cover drill does have the potential to save your life. Getting away from the windows, getting into um, Going into a section of the house where you don't have to worry about the blast of the window, you know, the windows getting blown out or whatever. That is, believe it or not, actually important. The nuclear fallout for an airburst weapon, which is the vast majority of the usable nuclear weapons, because here's the thing. You want to destroy cities, you want to destroy infrastructure, you don't want to make the earth uninhabitable. And this was actually the... and. Believe it or not, this is actually the driving force for most people because, okay, if you look at the weather patterns in, say, Central Europe or Eastern Europe, ask yourself for a moment, would Russia want to bomb Berlin and then have the fallout from Berlin sweep back into Russia? Not even by accident would they do that. They wouldn't want that. They, no joke, they wouldn't want it. So even though even though they talk about how it would take you know less than a few, uh, well actually let's see two hundred seconds, so just over three minutes, which by the way is not enough time to prepare for anything. But even though even though it would take just over three minutes. Um, for the for Germany to say to per to prepare for a nuclear strike, uh, the fact is that that nuclear strike is very likely to not be a ground burst detonation. 
And ground burst detonation literally, uh, and the reason why they penetrate between six and eight feet is because it's, that's actually literally the distance that, based on the speed that it would be traveling, that it would just naturally penetrate as the fuse was set off to set off the bomb. Because you actually need the, imp- the, the kinetic impact of the ground in order to, in order to set off the fuse and, and set off the bomb. This isn't like a, oh, it's designed, to, it's designed to penetrate between six and eight feet. That's an incidence in the way that the weapon is designed. And most of them are not designed by that mo- or like that. Most of them have a barometric pressure sensor that, makes, that causes them to detonate at a certain altitude. As long as it's detonating in the air, yes. Will there be some radioactive fallout? Yes. However, airburst nukes... The radiation from airburst nukes dissipates, for the most part, in 12 hours. You don't have to worry about burying yourself underground for years. You don't need, you know, 25 years of food to try and extend out your life or whatever. First off, you'll go crazy with cabin fever before then. Now, it wouldn't be the worst idea ever to make sure that you have... um, you know, some sort of, some sort of like basement store, like in, in the cellar or in the basement, some kind of storage where you have, you know, say seeds and dry goods and stuff like that to kind of last you a while, because it is going to take a little while for everything to get back up and running in your local area. Now, here's the thing. Keep in mind, some, like a small town like Lisden, Indiana is not going to descend into total chaos immediately it'll happen over time you've got probably two to three weeks as the people from the major cities start to make their way out to the countryside in hopes of finding you know resources the ones who survived the blast not every major city is going to be a target of the nuclear strike either because most of the major cities don't really house major military installations or anything like that Um, You're not going to have to worry about electricity or electronics, particularly electronics. So having anything more than um, a CB or a ham radio probably isn't going to do you a whole lot of good. If your cell phones don't work, and there's nothing to say that they won't, because a a lot of that superstructure may still survive. A lot of the server farms are put in places where, you know, they're not really accessible. Now they might you might have one or two server farms that have been put someplace that are absolutely stupid, you know, like right next to right next to a prime military target. But for the most part, you can probably be certain that as long as as long as everything's kind of scattered across the internet, you may still be there is a non-zero chance that you might still be able to access the internet. There's a non-zero zero chance that you'll still be able to make phone calls to a degree. In all seriousness, the the main thing, because while we like to talk about, oh yeah, this, you know, a, a, you know, an EMP would knock out blah 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 blah, um, some of the stuff that we have that's providing our power has been providing our power for so long that it would not be affected by an EMP, because the technology is old enough to just be stable. A lot of the small electronics probably go out, plus or minus. But there is a chance that some of the stuff will survive. Anything that doesn't have any kind of power to it will likely survive. 
where it'll still be functional. Now, there's things like cell phones, it's not a guarantee. You knock out enough of the cell phone network, then you can actually make it so that cell phones don't work. Um, some people have satellite phones. If you have satellite internet, then you may still be able to communicate. May. And this is the key thing. There are no guarantees. We have not tested a nuclear device in range of any of this, of any of our high-speed electronics and all of all of the stuff that we have, in a very, very long time. We stopped. We stopped tests like that almost 50 years ago. So a lot of the stuff that we have today, there's no guarantee that it would immediately be knocked out. Starlink might still work. I don't know for sure. <laughs> Seriously, I have no idea. I don't know for sure. Most people don't know. We haven't tested, we haven't tried. A lot of the military equipment will still be functional, but a lot of the military personnel to use the equipment are probably going to have other concerns. And this is not a joke. It is extremely likely that a lot of that a lot of locations will simply have more important things to be doing. A lot of people in a lot of those locations will have more important things to be doing than to be worrying about their stuff. Because they might actually be, you know, a little bit more worried about making sure to take care of their families, trying to find out if they're, you know, particularly with military personnel, there'd be a lot of people trying to make their way home to see if their families actually survived. And this is just practical. So there'll be a lot of people attempting to travel who may or may not be able to do so. And that's going to cause a lot of trouble. Because the first, let's be real for just a minute. A lot of us have moved around the country. My family is mostly on the East Coast. Now part of my family's, pro, part of my, in, in the event of a nuclear attack, part of my family is probably vapor. Just being blunt. They happen to settle down in locations where you look and you go, eh, that's... <laughs> from a st strategic standpoint because we just sort of forgot that there was such a thing as a possibility of nuclear war I'll, there's portions of my family who settled down in places where I can pretty much guarantee that if, if a nuclear war pops off they're going to be vapor but most of the rest of my family and it's only a small portion of my family most of the rest of my family are somewhat near to urban population centers that don't actually have any strategic value they're not major supporters of military industry or anything like that. And for the most part, for the vast majority of America, that's the case. Now, there are some people, you know, where... And here's the thing. It does no, does you no good to actually take out nuclear weapon silos. It does you better to try and take out the command centers or at least the connections between them. So there are a lot of people who are in positions where they think they're probably going to be the first to be vapor. And the reality is, is that they're not. I have a few friends who are guaranteed to be vapor in the event of a nuclear war because because and not just because but because they knew they actually had the knowledge that XYZ location was the place to be if you like if you wanted to make sure you weren't a survivor of a nuclear holocaust a couple of my friends are in locations where they know for a fact they won't survive 
They don't have to worry about it. They literally is like, hey, this thing pops off and it's over for me to sweet. Really, really hope they repent before and, and convert before their death. I don't know exactly how much time in that last moment for final penitence that God wants. I'm just reasonably certain that 10 to 20 milliseconds is probably not enough. <laughs> is it a zero chance? No, it's a non-zero chance. God's outside of time. He can he can make those those milliseconds stretch out ad infinitum if he wants to. <clears throat> but for many of the people that I know, many of my friends and some of my family, death is going to be certain. It's going to be quick. I don't know about my location. My location is sort of a 50-50 shot. Where I live relative to the nearest target, one, I don't know about the, I don't know about the strategic value of the target, and two, um, I'm pretty sure I'm upwind. <laughs> Just how it goes. If I'm home, I know what to do. If I'm at work, I know what to do. <clears throat> There's a lot to be said for those, you know, late or second half of the 20th century videos that talk about nuclear war and what you should probably do. Some of it, like, because they just basically put it out in general. In general, this is what you want to do. Some people aren't going to have the chance, and some people are going to have more than enough chance. They don't know. Nobody can know. For the most part, you only have to bunker down for 12 hours. You're going to want a respirator of some sort. An N95 mask is not enough. A painter's respirator would help. A full face respirator would be better. Should you be going out and buying them now? Uh, it might be a little too late, but I mean, if you can get your hands on one, then I, and you're interested in getting your hands on one, I will simply say this. You have to measure how much you're going to prepare because you can be as prepared for everything that there is. You'd be like, I've got this and this and this and this and everything's good to go. And then you might actually be at ground zero, in which case you've got pretty much a 0% chance of survival anyway. God might require your life in that moment. So the first piece of preparation is, of course, going to confession and staying in a state of grace for as long as possible. It's just how it is. If you have that going for you, then the other stuff should, then the other stuff you can kind of advance with. There are a lot of people who are worried about a nuclear war and they have actually, absolute, like, no joke, nothing to worry about. <clears throat> this podcast is heard in 86 countries. 20% of them, based on my, based on the demographics that I've seen, 20% of those countries have nothing to worry about. They're not going to be involved. They'll get the second and third order effects of a nuclear war, but they're not. But they don't actually have to worry about it. Are you in one of them? You'll know. 
Are they pumping up the are they pumping up the nuclear war propaganda in your in your neck of the woods? That would be the easiest way to tell. I will tell you right now, all of NATO is a target. Australia might be a target, but in all seriousness, what is Australia without the United States, without Great Britain? I mean, how much, seriously, how much of the Australian national identity as part of the UK exists if the UK is gone? The same thing is basically true for Canada. I love, I love my Canadian brethren. And for the most part, you guys are not at risk. The few of the, in fact, actually several of the listeners who I've had a ta- had a chance to touch base with, base with, and many of the people that I, and many of the people that I've been able to talk to up in Canada, outside of, you know, directly Radio Free Catholic. You guys, for the most part, you don't have anything to worry about. Your population is spread out enough that even <laughs> you'd actually have to be like right on top of a nuclear missile silo in order to even have to worry about being a target. So for the most part, you don't have a whole lot to worry about. Ontario, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, you might have something to worry about. But in the long game, if the United States is taken off the chessboard, I love you guys, but you're not a threat. You wouldn't be a threat to Russia. You wouldn't be, in fact, actually, you wouldn't really be that much of a threat to anybody left over. Now, China's the big question mark. Because we don't know exactly how China would respond, how they would integrate themselves in. We just don't know. And they may decide to keep out of it entirely. And we might just decide to drop a nuke on them anyway. No idea. Legitimately have no idea. I know their main focus is Russia, and I know that most people are paying attention to China, but I don't know how much good that's going to do us. It, let's let's be real for just a moment. There's no guarantee that it's going to do us any good anyway. And if we're wrecked, the one thing I'm praying for is the destruction of the District of Columbia. Vaporize D.C., and for the most part, you have to try and stand up a new U.S. capital. And I don't think that's going to work. They did their job so well in dividing the country and making sure that half of us absolutely cannot stand the other half. I don't think we would be able to reunite. I'm pretty sure, like, <clears throat> no joke, I'm pretty sure they could probably hit a couple of, a couple of strategic points and, the, and legit just... Let's see, who would I hit? If I wanted to make sure to fracture the United States. Um, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., New York City, Delaware, Boston, Hartford, Los Angeles and NORAD. Oh, and Alexandria, obviously the Pentagon and all that, you know, the Pentagon, CIA, all them. So, you know, Pentagon, 
Langley, a couple other places here and there. Um, NSA, you know, the, 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 the big headquarters of all the big three-letter agencies. But if you wipe all them out, no joke, it does, but like every, nothing else matters. The, govern, the United States government as a strategic threat is pretty much over. The overreach, oh, by the way, conveniently, if they, hit, if they hit D.C., they would end up taking out the IRS. For those of you who are thinking about it. After that, what? You think they're going to go after state capitals? You think we're going to be able to unite? We could fight as a people all day long and be like, oh yeah, we need to band together or not. And I'm thinking based on the current culture, probably not. I mean, you may have to hit a couple of other areas like, you know, a couple of weapons manufacturing facilities and stuff like that. But seriously, where are they going to put Washington? Like, I want you to think about this for a minute. Where are they going to put Washington, D.C.? They wipe out the capital. Where do you put the new capital? With the country divided the way it is, where are you going to put the new capital? Think they're going to put it in California? No. Think they're going to put it in Colorado? No. Think they're going to put it in Indiana? No. Florida? No. New York? No. Boston? No. Pennsylvania? No. South Carolina? No. Think about it. Where would you put the provincial capital? How do you reestablish the Congress? Do you really think that every state is going to go out of the way to reestablish Congress? Think about this. As good as California is at organizing... Do you think they're going to remember to put anybody in Congress to try and get regain control over the entirety of the United States? The governors are going to start to fight with each other. They each have a National Guard. Like, come on, man. This isn't the United States of America of 1980. In 1980, if we fell into nuclear war, we would unite. We would band together and we would unite. But today... Today, the mainstream media, all of those media sources have done everything that they can to burn the bridge, but not less than half of the country. Not less than half of the country. All of us are going to remember which government got us into this mess. Who was in charge at the time? Why didn't they manage to work it out? Think people are going to forget that one? You can single-handedly kill both the Republican and Democratic parties. Because it wouldn't be... (laughs) Because it doesn't matter what the party headquarters does. Who's going to get on the bandwagon? We're not going to go back to the same old thing. That'd be... (laughs) Half the country hates the federal government. The FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the Department of Defense, the Department of Education... The Department of Transportation, the Internal Revenue Service, the Department of the Treasury. You think the Federal Reserve is going to really be able to stand it back up? No. 
we will actually descend into the same kind of civil war that went on between the Taliban and the Northern Alliance for 20 years. That's actually the principal threat. The hard charge is going to be to actually stay local. To not worry about what's going on across the country. To not worry about what's going on, honestly, really trying not to worry about what's going on in the next county. That's your best bet. It's your best bet for your own survival, the survival of your family. Is don't get in the way of the people who are trying to cross, to cross over to return home to try and reunite with their wife, their children, their, you know, their mothers and fathers. Don't get in their way because eventually some of them are going to get good at being desperate and they're going to get kind of dangerous. You help them along if you can. It won't happen immediately for most people. It's not going to happen immediately because you have to you have to develop a certain callousness that most people don't have. I mean some people some people have it but they don't have the brutality, like they don't have the brutality at their core. A lot of the people who have that brutality at their core don't have it in them anymore to be to really just be needlessly violent. It'll develop reasonably quickly, a couple of months at the most. But it's not a guarantee. If you're near the cities, those are going to tear themselves apart. It won't take long. Because before too long, in all seriousness, they're going to have to leave. The stubborn ones will try to stay, and they'll be the ones who, are try, who, who try to establish their own little fiefdom. And i got to be honest with you, maybe you just let them. You can always clean it out later. My prayer for you all is that you've managed to put away something of value. Anything. In all honesty, there's no guarantee like there's no guarantee that anything resembling monetary system is going to work. Maybe some people will accept trade in bullets, but the main commodity is going to be fuel. That's going to be the principal commodity necessary, particularly for those who are trying to travel across the country, either fuel or horses. But most people don't know enough about horses these days. So it's going to be fuel. And whether it's fuel for a dirt bike or an ATV or an SUV or big rig or whatever, those will really be the, like you're not looking at traveling bands of, you're, you're not looking at traveling groups of bandits. Not initially, not for a while. We're not going to fall all at once into the book of Eli. Lest we forget the Book of Eli took place 30 years after the, after the nuclear war. And the other added benefit 
is if this does go down as a nuclear war, it's not going to be blamed on religion. I mean, there might be a direct religious battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil, but there, but it's not going to be blamed on religion. Nobody's going to misconstrue a war with Russia as a war with among religion. That was Book of Eli based on what was going on in the world in a world where there was a battle between supposed Christianity, it was actually just the secular West, and cultural Islam. Cultural Islam. It wasn't like, let's be real, when you look at when you look at it, we're not talking about huge amounts of fundamentalists. It was blamed on fundamentalists, but it wasn't fundamentalists who died. It was people who were culturally Muslim who may or may not have really been all that dedicated to it. In the case of Iraq, definitely. And in the case of Afghanistan, they might have been a little bit more dedicated than, than not. But we didn't send evangelists into Iraq and Afghanistan. We basically hang the, we basically hang the Christians out to dry. Because it wasn't, because it was most definitely not a religious war. It was a war. Well, I mean, it wasn't a religious war in the in the technical sense. It was a war between between the religion of the globe, the world religion, and the people who just had to be ground under boot to push the world religion. And no, that world religion was not Islam. And no, that world religion was not Christianity. That world religion was greed. Pride. Envy. This war between us and Russia, if it gets that far, is not a religious war. Russia may be upholding the Christian values, and the West may be denigrating Christian values as much as possible, but nobody's, nobody thinks that Vladimir Putin thinks he's the Messiah. Nobody, not in Russia, not in the United States, not in the UK, not in Australia, not in India, nowhere. Nowhere thinks, nobody thinks of Vladimir Putin thinks he's the Messiah. He might be the second coming of czars, but there's a far cry between the czar and Christ. Is this going to happen? I have no idea. I look at the way things are progressing, what I see in the news, what I see happening around the world, and it occurs to me that this is actually more of a possibility than it was two months ago. It was more than it was more of a possibility than it was when I first started talking about it, when everybody first started paying attention. It was more of a possibility before Russia, even 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 in the immediate aftermath of Russia going into Ukraine, and they were talking all the head, you know, the heavy stuff about nuclear weapons. Even at that time, it was still less likely than it is today. The West seems to think that day by day, they can turn the flame up just a little bit more and that they'll eventually boil the frog that is Russia. Except it's a bear, not a frog. 
kind of a problem for the re- you know for the rest of the world who seems to think that they're going to be able to get away with it i don't think they're going to be able to get away with it i think it, there's going to be a point where they're going i think there is a likelihood that there is going to be a point that they push just one step too far and russia just says forget about it we're do- we're doing this and everybody's going to look at russia like they're the aggressor and they're not They're being aggressive, to be sure. But they're not the aggressor. I know it's been after the ACAS transition that I talked about everything that's been going on. I know know that those podcast episodes are are still available when I I talked about what actually has been going on over the last decades. It was a slow boil. Well, now... And they were and they were perfectly content to keep it a slow boil. But you ran into a little bit of an issue because all of the people who want these big transitions to happen, they're all old. Look at the entire Great Reset community. The only young ones are Justin Trudeau, who's too stupid to live, and Emmanuel Macron, who's too arrogant to make it. Everybody else... They're older than boomers. I mean, they're the early part of the baby boom generation. It's not the later part. It's not the younger ones. It's the older boomers that are in charge. It's the older boomers who have decided that they want to run the world. It's the older boomers who've decided that they want to make all of these transitions. Bill Gates looks like he could actually die of a heart attack at any minute. Klaus Schwab looks like he might die of a stroke. He looks like he may have already had a stroke. Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, George Soros, how old are these people? They're crusty. They're almost dead. They're one they're already like <laughs> They're certainly going to die before I am unless I get vaporized by a nuclear weapon. Who's <laughs> Who's actually putting together this new world order? CEO of Larry Fink, he's old. Biden, old. Pelosi, old. Schumer, old. There's not a one of these people that's in the prime of their life where they could actually enjoy the new world order that they've created. They will only get, they will barely, <laughs> look, they are like the Israelis trying to make it into the promised land, except that they've been condemned to wait the 40 years that they had to move it piece by piece by piece by piece by piece. None of that wicked generation is going to move into their so-called promised land. That crap is going to be left for the rest of us. And it won't be long before AOC finally pulls her head out of her fourth point of contact and realizes that all of that acting she did was for nothing. You think Patrice Cullors, one of the founders of BLM Inc., is going to rule the world? She's not ruling anything. You think Alexander Soros is going to rule the world? He's not going to rule the world. He got nothing. Those two crusty old... Ooh, I almost cussed. Those two crusty old fools... I wonder if that's actually worse. Anyway, who have been funding the LGBT movement for the last 40 years. That should actually tell you how old they are. They're not going to live in this new paradise. 
They haven't gotten there. They're never, they're never going to reap the benefits. They're never going to, they're gonna, never going to live in their little transgender utopia. Probably a good thing for them because they're going to find out exactly how messed up they were. But whatevs. None of these people who are pushing any of these agendas are any younger than Father Time. I mean, they make Abe Simpson look virile. Montgomery Burns looks like a spry young man by comparison to most of these people. You think Biden's going to get to live in this new world order he's creating? That might actually be part of the motivation why he's just going along with it in his senility. Hunter Biden doesn't care. He would be the key candidate to be able to carry it forward. But to be blunt, even Donald Trump isn't going to get to live in that new world. Not that he has to. He's wealthy enough that he won't have to worry about it. And we're just going to be left with people who are going to try and pick up the pieces. But I'm going to tell you right now, with no Washington, D.C., there is no Ron DeSantis. And talk about it all you want, but the fact is, is no Washington, D.C., no Ron DeSantis. If, for whatever reason, the nuclear holocaust, as it were, takes out all electronic communications, you know, the internet and all that other stuff, cell phones, all that other stuff, there's no Ron DeSantis. None. really won't be a Donald Trump to speak of. Think it's going to matter that he's flying around the world at rallies? Seriously. Think that's going to matter at that point? The olds on this planet are seriously overestimating their value. They're seriously overestimating the value of the structures that they're putting into place. I think probably my most favorite part about the potential for nuclear war is that it stops central bank digital currencies in their tracks. You will be stuck with cash, period. No interwebs. And now granted, here's the thing. You're probably going to want to have some cash on hand. Because no interwebs no ATM. Just a fact of life. <clears throat> and the cash will last for a while. The other really nice thing is that in a situation like that, we will literally be running on the vapors of the old system, which will have been vaporized just in time to not bring in the new. However, and this is the key thing, the powers that be would not be pushing the crap that they're pushing, particularly with war with Russia, if they were not confident that their system would survive. 
If they were not confident that at least some semblance of their system would survive, they would not be pushing this crap. Now, they could be wrong, but that's something you need to take into account. That's why I say the interweb may still survive. That's why I say that digital communication, cell phones and such, will probably still survive. It's not going to be all ham radios like we assume everything's going to be wiped off. I don't think that's actually going to be the case. I think it is actually going to be possible for you to rebuild. I don't know to what degree, but I do think that it is going to be possible. And that's an important thing to keep in mind because you cannot push for nuclear war at the same time that you're going to start a central bank digital currency because you have to flush the cash dollar down the toilet. You can't do both of those at the same time. If your electronic infrastructure is going to get wiped out by the nuclear war. So just keep that in mind. Do I know precisely what's coming? No. But I think that as scary as nuclear war is, it's probably not going to be as bad as we all think. Because every last one of us thinks in terms of it's going to wipe out the whole planet. Well, Brazil's not a target. Zimbabwe is not a target. Johannesburg is not a target. They're not targeting Rio or Buenos Aires. They're not, tar- they're not targeting Morocco, although Morocco might catch some fallout from across the strait. They won't be targeting Libya. They won't be targeting Kenya. They won't be targeting Madagascar. They won't even really be targeting Mexico. They're not targeting El Salvador or Guatemala. Do you see, do you understand? Canada has hitched its wagon to the United States, but Canada without the United States isn't, wouldn't even be worth the bomb. So it's probably not going to be as bad as we think. It's probably going to be horrifying for the United States but it's probably not going to be as bad as we think. So keep that in mind. On the off chance it is as bad as we think, at least for you, your first order of business is to stay in a state of grace. So go to confession, pray, do penance, make reparation. Remember, taking time out to pray prayers of thanksgiving in this Easter season is still reparation. You can offer those prayers of thanksgiving for those people who will not. I'm sure, based on everything else I've read, pretty sure our Lord would appreciate it. Pray for the church. Pray for your nation. And pray those of us who are in the social media space don't get completely lost especially those of us who happen to be doing anything worth it, you know, worth it. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.